You know, it's estimated that between 80 and 100,000 inmates in state and federal prisons across our nation are housed in solitary confinement or administrative segregation. Uh, for those of us who've been there, we just call it ADSEG. I spent eight days in ADSEG. A guest on our show, Episode 4, Ron Atkins, spent 13 years in, a, in an ADSEG cell. Our guests today, Dr. Veronica Tetterton and Dr. Carla Evans, are with uh, their company called Anticipate Joy. And they're here to talk about mental health, incarceration. They were both counselors in federal prison. And it's going to be a great episode. So come on, let's do a background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is is background check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to background check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast, brought to you as always by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. I'm your host, J. Dan Gum, and the founder of Forgiven Felons. If you want to know more about Forgiven Felons and what all we do, visit us on the web, ForgivenFelons.org. If you have a loved one who needs a transitional house to parole to, there's an application there on the house page. So today is the day after North Texas Giving Day. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to every one of you who gave yesterday. And you don't have to stop, you know, just because it's not North Texas Giving Day anymore. If you want to give to our capital campaign for our resource center. This resource center will help us uh, help so many more men and women all across DFW who are getting out of prison. We're going to have vocational training. We're going to have food, clothes, hygiene, OSHA certification on, on warehouse machines, everything. So thank you to all who gave yesterday. Uh, thank you to Patriot Delivery and everyone else who uh, contributed to the matching funds give a special shout out to my wife, Jessamy, and my family for helping make videos, tolerating my super crazy busy schedule, my transformation of the back room into a little recording studio. Thank you, Jessamy, for always being there to support. Uh, we, I couldn't do this without you and, and the girls, so thank you. Thank you to all who helped make the rally last night. Thank you to Terry Fancher for all the live music and all the, the current and former residents who shared their testimony. Thank you to Moses Attack Express for the food and everyone who just made yesterday possible. Thank you so much to everybody. We couldn't do this without you. And if you still want to give, go to ForgivenFelons.org, and you can donate straight to the donation page. Uh, every dollar and $1,000 and million dollar helps. So thanks again. All right, uh, man, we want to get straight to this show today. We have some exciting guests. We have a company called Anticipate Joy here with us, and we're, we're going to talk about the uh, side effects of prison, solitary confinement, you know, uh, reentry when they come into back into the world after a long time. We're going to talk about programs in the federal prison. Uh, Dr. Veronica Tetterton and Dr. Carla Evans are both clinical psychologists. And they met in prison, <laughs> not federal prison uh, in a way where they were inmates, but they both worked as counselors in federal prisons. And so uh, it's going to be a great show. So let's get to it. And I know you're going to enjoy the show. I enjoyed the interview. Here we go. Ladies, 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 welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. So glad to be here. All right. So Such a uh, pleasure. Uh, the company is called An Anticipate Joy. You got it. That's All right. right. So uh, tell us who you are and maybe tag team, take turns telling us how this company came about and what all y'all do. Sure. I'm Dr. Veronica Tetterton. I'm a clinical psychologist, been practicing for over 15 years. Um, much of the time I spent working with the Federal Bureau of Prisons and the correctional system, working with female and male populations. Got out of uh, the prison and uh, literally and, uh, and began to kind of 
work in the private sector, spending a lot of time working with veteran populations and doing evaluations. And then Carla and I hooked up and we began doing some things, uh, doing speaking engagements in the community. And we really were kind of hit with the the number of people in the community that are really struggling with mental health issues. And we really kind of began to come together, join forces, doing um, some radio shows. We did some radio shows and, and then kind of progressed on to developing Anticipate Joy, which is where we see as an opportunity for us to be able to provide services to people all over um, in a way that we wouldn't be able to do amongst ourselves. We uh, have a network of mental health providers that are able to provide services for people online in the conveniences of their own home. So how did you get involved in the prison? Yeah, so I went to the University of Alabama and studied forensic psychology and um, and got my doctorate degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis in psychology and law. Okay. So I've always had an interest in the law and the intersection in the mental health. Um, so it was kind of a natural progression for me to, when it was time for internships, to look towards a prison as an opportunity yeah. for me to get some experience. I went to uh, internship at a federal prison, loved it, and stayed on board, working wow. with female population initially and then later in the, in the male population. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you for all your service in yeah. that field. Well, thank you. Carla. Hey, hey. Well, hello. I'm Dr. Carla Evans, also a clinical psychologist and co-founder of Anticipate Joy with Dr. Tedderton. So I, we always like to say we met in prison. Yes. Uh, yes but not the way that you would normally meet in prison. But yeah, we had keys. <laughs> we had keys to walk out every day. Um, as you know, Jaden, a little bit about my personal life, but um, had some dear family members incarcerated and there was always my, that heart to, yeah. to reach those that society had oftentimes given up on. Right. And so um, that was a natural, you know, a natural direction for me. My father also worked as a prison chaplain. So my dad um, went into my, my father actually, I think this is just unique sharing since we're on your podcast. I don't even know if you know this, but my dad had a, a repeated dream since he was a teenager that he was going to go to prison, but that he was going to be innocent. Wow. And so this went on for decades. Wow. Um, and so How scary is yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, repeatedly he was going to go to prison and that he was going to be innocent. And so when I was eight years old, um, you know, he had had this dream over and over. And one morning my mom woke him up. She nudged him and said, what if we were called to go into prison ministry? Wow. Well, of course, when you aren't, then you can easily say. And so flippantly, he's like, we would go. And within a matter of a couple of months, someone wow. called and said, you know, brother Bob, we've got this position at the, at the prison here in Arkansas. And we would love for you to consider being a chaplain here. We know you have ministry experience and you've worked in the prisons before. And he said, my wife and I have already been praying about it, and I feel pretty confident in our decision. Wow. And so that led the path wow. of almost 30 years now that he's been working in the prison systems. And, you know, doors have opened for him to go into other states and other countries where um, really ministry or mental health is, is way less than it even yeah. is here in the States. Yeah. So that, that kind of I led my love, path. I would love one, one, one day to go to a foreign prison yeah. just to mm. see See what yeah. it's like. The the hunger for knowledge and resources is is so much even greater than even here because of the limited resources right. that wow. are in other countries. Right. So when when I chose to go work in the prison system, I also got accepted in an internship program and he's like, Why are you choosing prison? And I thought, how could you ask such a question? Your dad asked you yeah. that. <laughs> He's like, why are you choosing prison? I'm like, this seems so natural. Of course, this is what I would do and loved it. Um, spent about almost a decade there working with the male and female population. And then I really felt like there was more. Um, that, that our time there was, I had done now, a lot Is that of, where you guys met? That's yeah. we met in okay. 2008. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so y'all met there in 2008. So how long did y'all work together? So... What we worked say? together in uh, 2008 until 2010, okay. and then we were in different prisons. Were we ever in the same prison again? You came back. 
And then you were leaving. And now. then I was leaving. Yeah. So there, gotcha. but we maintained. So even though we were in the same, we weren't in the same institution, but still working for the same gotcha. federal bureau. Yeah, for gotcha. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we still maintained our relationship. Would talk occasionally. Would see each other maybe at trainings and things yeah. like that. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so this um, professional relationship. Um, you know, we obviously had kindred spirits and shared a lot of the same vision. Yeah. And um, I had a couple of, you know, ideas that I felt like she was supposed to be a part of. Random ideas. Go ahead and say that. <laughs> like, let's do a radio show. Yeah. Both of us are clinical psychologists with no experience in radio. Yeah. Um, but I think that felt very random and spontaneous. But I, I think if that wouldn't have happened, other events may not have happened. And some of the things that she then encouraged that we were going to do, probably, I probably wouldn't have even had the motivation to do. Or, right. Okay. Or, so when was this, when did this radio show happen? And yeah. yeah. So when, when was this? And what year was 20, that? Was it 2016? Okay. 2017. Uh, I want to say 17. Yeah. It was 2017. And How we come probably I didn't know did about it. This? Yeah. So we probably did it for what, six months uh -huh. before we transitioned over to Facebook Live. Yeah. And then at that point, we really started to, it started to, I think the vision started to get bigger yeah. and we started to, I remember clearly thinking here, I, I heard this statement. What if the sweet I am is bigger than a radio show? Mm -hmm. Wow. Which was the name of the radio show that we were doing at the time, mm -hmm. which, what if it's bigger than a radio show? And then we just began to kind of, um, it, it morphed into this online counseling platform that we've been building and developing since 2018. It's been, wow. yeah. 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 So I think what we've found in every speaking engagement, any panel we've set on, there's a, a lot, a line of people that are waiting, you yes, know? not absolutely. just because of us, but because people are hurting and That's mental right. health is it's in every family, in every community across every area in our nation. And we've found that, that people are in need of mental health services and oftentimes they don't know a therapist, they don't have right. a good connection or resource. And so we're like, well, we could open another brick and mortar, but then again, we would be limited yeah. to just being able to service so many people in our little area. That's right. And so Anticipate Joy is allowing opportunity for people who may live in a small town where there's only one therapist within a 200 mile radius to now have access to all the therapists on the platform. Wow. Yeah. So now yeah. about how many therapists, counselors do y'all have available? Yeah. So we're right at about 40 yep. now and, yep. and with, growing with plans to be growing. And growing. Yeah. We're definitely yeah. what growing. What all categories of counseling? Yeah. So we have licensed clinical social workers. We also have licensed professional counselors. We also have clinical psychologists and we've got one more oh, Lic marriage and family marriage therapist and family as well. Therapist. Licensed. All of those are licensed professionals. I, I want to emphasize that because I think it's really important that we, we want to make sure we, there's a distinction between coaching and kind of what we're doing yeah. with yeah. licensed mental health providers. Yeah. 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 And the importance of, of practicing evidence-based evidence -based right. treatment, treatment with right. the people that Absolutely. we're working with. But yeah. to further answer your question, those are titles, those are yeah. licensed, but we also have individuals working with substance abuse, right. grief, yes. loss, okay. family issues, marriage, anxiety, depression, um, yeah, the full veterans, trauma. ex felons, mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. That's very important to us that we're not just hiring someone with a license, yeah. mm -hmm. but it's someone that not only has a license but has quite a bit of experience post licensure. So good. Most of our therapists have over ten years of experience yeah. in good. the field, yeah. and it's very important that when you log on there's someone you can relate to and that you would select in the community. Yeah. So we want to make sure that they're diverse, that young and old, they come from ethnically diverse, ethnically diverse professionally diverse backgrounds. Yes. Yeah, all absolutely. Of those things. So it's all, it's all virtual, all mobile. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So how would somebody just like from the get go, they hear about it, they go online, yeah. computer. Yep. Right. And then what happens? You get to the website, what happens? So you'd go to anticipatejoy.com and you would click the get started button. And once you do that, you'd fill out a brief kind of questionnaire for us. That gives us a little bit of baseline information about how you're feeling. and gives us a little bit of information too about maybe some of the therapists that might be appropriate for gotcha. you. After you do that, you just go into the platform and you'd um, begin to browse your therapist. And we wanted to make this process not unlike the process that 
anybody in the community would experience when they're shopping for a therapist, meaning okay. they, they would do their due diligence. They would look up mm-hmm. the therapist. They would read their profiles. They would see whether or not it's something that matches or feels like it's in alignment with their needs. So we have all of that. They, you can review the bio. Um, there's pictures. There's the professional background of the therapist that you can, that helps you make a choice yeah. uh, for the therapist that is going to be best for you. You choose that therapist. You pay for your sessions and um, that therapist reviews all of your intake information, makes sure that um, that that therapist is uh, qualified and and is, um, you know, good in good standing with uh, accepting you as a client. They accept and then you schedule an appointment. And it's just that simple. And in addition to that, the, the clients have the ability to choose if they want to have their therapy sessions in either video, audio, or in text chat mode. Okay. Now, all of it's done in our HIPAA-compliant platform, so I don't want you to envision, you know, picking up your phone and calling your therapist, you know, by with an, with an eight-digit number. It's all in our platform, but it is it does have capability of audio, video, and text chat. Okay. Mm, yeah. All right. That's good. I, yeah. like, I, I like that. Yeah. So the podcast is called Background Check. Yes. And so, you know, we like to have people on here that have something to do with people with backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And you guys are counselors. I want to ask some questions now about your opinion, expert opinion on mental health, how how incarceration um, and especially certain elements of incarceration like solitary confinement. Uh, affects a person's mental health and, and their mental state. Mm-hmm. I spent eight days in solitary confinement. And for me, it was more of a spiritual transformation. So mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think I had time to, to, to really be affected by the four closed walls. Cause mm-hmm. I think I had a different conversation with God every day. So he kept me busy. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a lot of people in, in solitary confinement that aren't Christians mm-hmm. that may have not had their um, come to Jesus yeah, moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so they they leave themselves themselves open to some just some crazy mm-hmm. mental and emotional struggles. You you guys have worked with inmates. Mm-hmm. What have y'all seen? Uh, just people that are in general population. How how it affects them, and then specifically solitary confinement. So I would say it's not just individuals who don't have a faith, but it's also people who um, maybe their family or their loved ones have really thrown away the key on them. Gotcha. So it's even that much more detrimental to their mental health if they don't have people who are writing letters to them, who are engaging in phone conversations with them. And I think it's very similar. I think of a parallel with mental illness. Um, as we know, even though it's 2020 and we're talking about mental health, Um, anxiety, depression, having a mental illness is still very taboo. Um, and oftentimes there's that stigma associated with it. So, um, I think mental illness has a way of putting you in an emotional prison. And so you think about a physical prison in a physical sense, um, you have no access to the outside world. The coping is very limited um, because you don't have the resources. Um, and so you are then alone in your thoughts. Um, so if there is any, any underlining mental illness, how much more that will perpetuate wow. because of your lack of resources um, and ability to be able to utilize those coping skills. I've seen uh, many documentaries and counselors come on there and say, Solitary confinement is one of the worst and cruelest punishments mm-hmm. that we have. And, and they said almost said that it's worse than actual physical torture. Mm-hmm. Because with physical torture, there's actually some relational mm-hmm. touch yeah. and there's physical connection. touch. Yeah. I think that's the, the most difficult thing about um, solitary confinement. It is, it is the isolation. It's the, the, the lack of contact, um, stimulation. Um, uh, the lack of any uh, affection or connection, really. Uh, And that's what makes it most challenging. And when we were working in the prison system, um, because of that fact alone, when individuals were in solitary confinement, we frequently did evaluations with them to kind of monitor their mental state and just ensure that they were, you know, uh, maintaining 
you know, uh, and individuals who were maybe decompensating or becoming worse in that setting, we would have to intervene and, you know, um, use measures to ensure that their mental state was improved um, because they're, because of that risk that, that that type of environment does pose on our mental health. So would is, y'all do that is, automatically in federal prison or like if like people on isolation, would y'all check in on them automatically or would y'all state they don't do that they just oh. you just wait until mm-hmm. they act they're starting to act crazy then you tell medical yeah. maybe they need some help okay. but in, in federal in federal um it's a requirement okay. so not only does a mental health professional have to at least touch base on a weekly uh every week um, but we also have to do standard evals for those that are in a solitary confinement for an extended period of time how often um, and, are those? And that is every six months. Okay. Um, but I will tell you a couple of initiatives that have come out in the last five to seven years. I don't know if you remember the pods that were being created as a result of um, solitary confinement. I left the prison system a little earlier. Yeah, than, right than Carla, the so end. I, there were maybe some things I don't. So recall. I want to kind of paint the picture of what that looks like. You obviously have individuals who cannot engage with the public for a variety right. of yeah. reasons. You know, security, safety for themselves, for other people, and so there was millions of dollars being spent in the federal system to create pods. And so these are metal caged pods where the teacher or the instructor would be here. And then you would have six pods where the individuals would be in each pod separated, but they would still have the engagement with others. It would be very similar to group therapy, which we know the impact of group therapy. You can go to an individual therapist and gain exceptional skill but what you gain from the members of group therapy sometimes far surpasses and that's in every field Mm -hmm. i mean even physical fitness sure you get a lot of physical fitness benefit from working out by yourself but if you go that's true to a group a group exercise there's something about that connection it's the connection yeah Yeah, definitely that's i really like that that's Mm -hmm. really neat uh that's a lot i know there's a lot of difference between federal and state in the way they treat uh their inmates for sure and the way they let volunteers in, the way they let programs in. So I, I may this may be jumping in a different direction, but I know we're huge advocates for programming. Um, yeah. She was over an entire substance abuse program, mm-hmm. and I think the key to reducing recidivism is programming. Oh like yeah, accountability, yeah. engagement. Yeah, that's definitely one of the one of the key things that the federal prison acknowledges and really, um, I think, backs it with dollars yeah. meaning they support it and they they the substance abuse program in the in the bureau of prisons whether or not it, and it's not just mental health programming too it's it's vocational programming is that it's, the rdap it, yes mm-hmm. rdap mm-hmm. Uh-huh. it's vocational programming it's you know religious programming just um programming in general um is definitely positive for people that are incarcerated and so um, yeah, we were, we were, and you were over the mental mm-hmm. health mental for health unit. those mm-hmm. individuals with chronic mental medical mm-hmm. issues. Is that correct? Mental. Mental health? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we did a, we interviewed a guy that spent a lot of time in federal prison and he talked about one federal prison in, um, I can't remember the city. Mm-hmm. I wish I could remember the state, but he was headed in and he, he had went past the, the general population and went back and then he said, the further we we kept going further back, and he said all of a sudden there was this huge wall, mm-hmm. and they took me on the other side of this wall, and he said it was literal literal hell, mm-hmm. and it was it was where they kept all of the long term oh. mm-hmm. crazy violent people, and he was there for drugs, yeah. and a correction officer asked him, "What are you doing back here?" Mm-hmm. And he was actually a sponsored athlete by Five Percent Nutrition. The guy said something like, the, the inmate said, I don't know, I just this, that, and the other. And he said, um, he, he talked about who he was on the outside. And, and the correction officer was like, yeah, whatever, I don't believe you. Well, then the correction officer went and looked up videos and found this guy. And he was who he says he was. Mm-hmm. And then he says, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I screwed up. He goes, no, what are you doing back here? Your, your case doesn't show that you should be mm-hmm. back here. You know, this is where the worst of the worst are in, the, right. on this, in this camp. And with, within, he goes, I don't know. And so within, within a couple of weeks, he was transferred, transferred to transferred. minimum security in California. Oh, oh good. Well, yeah. that, that sure, I'm sure that was better. <laughs> but to this day, to this day, he still doesn't know what happened. Wow. You know, why, how that happened. And so. It happens, though. I, I know 
individuals that I've worked with that that's happened before. They've been placed at a higher security place and then on, I don't know, you know, but mm-hmm. then, but then transferred over. So yeah. yeah. Solitary confinement. Does, does prison, should prison do away with it? Hmm. <laughs> so I'm an advocate for programming, as I mentioned, um, I'm going to dance around your, your question. <laughs> I'm not going to let you. I think there's, I think there are times when, um, given individuals we have worked with, they have posed a significant risk yeah, right. physically, mentally to those around them, not just the people working there, but to their peers. Yeah. And I think in those circumstances, there has to be some sense of restraint there. Um, but throwing them in and throwing away the key, you're not rehabilitating. Right. You're not preparing people to successfully reenter back into the communities. And so we also have seen them do independent studies where they're able to program. Um, as you know, you can't help people who aren't willing to help themselves. Right. Um, but I think as much programming as is available should be offered. Right. Um, and in circumstances, I think, I think there are times where it needs to happen now for years solitary confinement for a long period of time, I think it's going to ultimately be more detrimental on your mental well-being if you're going to be in there for a long period of time. And what are some, what are some, uh, results, some byproducts, some, some consequences of, of, of that extended, you know, mental, mental health. I'm, I'm guessing that's what you're referring Mm -hmm. to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously the first thing that comes to mind is depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, individuals who are isolated from contact from other individuals and from stimulation, they begin to experience depressive symptoms, whether or not it's, um, sad, um, crying, uh, uncontrollably. Um, they also may begin to experience a loss of interest in activities. Maybe, um, programmers are coming by and offering them, uh, maybe religious services is like, Hey, here's a book. And, and they, they don't have any interest in it. Mm-hmm. So they may lose interest in it. They, right. they may have no interest anymore in, um, letters being received from family members because they began to kind of lose interest in activities or, um, the worst case scenario as it can kind of the other end of the pendulum really is that they can begin the experience thoughts of suicide because of feelings of, you know, uh, hopelessness, yeah. you know, cause that's what it can create is a sense of, of hopelessness that this is the way that life will always be and nothing will ever change. And when, mm-hmm. be- when people begin to experience that, um, suicidal thoughts are are kind of uh, cre- gonna creep up in their minds I, I read an article that uh, I don't know I didn't it didn't list a date like a time frame but it said that uh, in the federal prison system there's uh, a, an average of 300 attempts suicide attempts per year and usually that I think the same article said it usually ends up in about a about a dozen deaths per mm-hmm. year um, mm-hmm. was that something that y'all can verify just from your time at, at working well, there? Is, was it prevalent? I, I don't have the exact numbers. I don't either. I was going to say me. that too. But. Um, but definitely was a part of uh, working with individuals who attempted and completed suicide during my time and working in the facility. And just to continue what you were saying, you don't have anyone to challenge your irrational yeah. or right. negative beliefs. No one's there to dispute your thoughts. So... In time, when you begin to say, my future is bleak, there's nothing else here, I don't have anything to live for. This is the thing they think, my family is better off without me. Without me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that, yeah. and that, that. I thought that. That in rings. In my alcoholic days, that's, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, I said that. And, yeah. And when yeah. the night that And it'll ring as true if you don't have another balancing mm-hmm. voice or somebody else that'll say, no, 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 you don't understand. Right. We need you. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, or uh, e- even any interaction like that. So it definitely can be a negative consequence. Mm-hmm. What about when, when, uh, have either one of you had an experience of, of, the follow up after they get out of prison and see what kind of effects now that they're out, you know, how did that affect their ability to not just survive, but thrive in prison? They had to survive. Mm -hmm. Now they were expected to thrive out here. So what kind of, I mean, I was only in three years Mm -hmm. and I was only in solitary confinement for eight days. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, there were, there were some things that affected me. Mm-hmm. There's some things that I, when I got out, some things changed. I had to do things differently. Mm-hmm. There was text messaging now mm-hmm. on phones oh, yeah. that I only saw yeah, about oh, wow. in prison on commercials. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so I'm just like, you know, we, we got a guy out and, and to forgiven felons, mm-hmm. you know, he's done, he did 30 years in an in adult prison and mm-hmm. did two years in juvenile before that. So he was wow. in at 15 and he's wow. 47 now. So, so I don't want to use the term loosely, but institutionalized mm-hmm. is something that happens. And I think w- the way I interpret that is you come into the community expected to now be an adult, but for so long you've been told you get three wraps of toilet paper, you know, you get three hots and a cot, all, yeah. the, all the statements that we know. Right. And so you're told when to, how to. And so I think it's very important um, in the system that there's a, a natural progress, progression of those um, those resources or those abilities being given back to you. Yeah. I also think it's really important when you get out of prison as a civilian who has never been in prison and as an ex-felon that you're doing your job to make sure you're rehabilitating appropriately. And so how do you do that as a civilian you welcome people into communities and giving them opportunities um, as someone who's been in prison, making sure that you don't allow society to then continue to remind you, this right. is who you were, this is your worth, but making sure you're utilizing the resources that are available right. to reduce those risks. And what you're really underscoring is really the the importance of good reentry programs, um, you know, programs that c- kind of serve as a bridge for felons as they're released from prison and are entering into the society so that they can reintegrate with their family. Mm -hmm. You know, like how do you reintegrate with a family if you have been in prison for 10 years and your child that was a baby is now 10 interacting with loved ones, whether or not that be parents or spouses, you know, those are legitimate concerns. And one of the things that I think was really important, and I think I really valued this because one of the programs or the great initiatives in the the Bureau of Prisons was a reentry programs. They devoted a great deal of money and resources to making sure that inmates were able to get reintegrated with families, were able to get education, um, that might put them on a better foot when they get out, yeah. um, GEDs and things like that. So there was an emphasis towards making sure that we have some sort of programming and uh, really training uh, so that they have a greater likelihood for success. Now, the federal prison on, on the inside, if somebody you know writes, hey, I need some help, I need mm-hmm. some counseling, I need this, what, what is that process like in the federal prison? So we have an open door policy in the psychology departments in every prison. Now, I will say that not every prison has as many psychologists. So sometimes it could, although they will be seen med- immediately, if there's a crisis, they're going to be placed on a waiting list if there's only one psychologist right. for 2,000 inmates. But at the facilities where I worked, the open door policy meant you were going to be seen pretty much immediately um, if you came during the open house, open door policy. Um, Otherwise, you could submit a cop out and then you were expected to be seen by the therapist within, I think, a month, I believe. I don't recall. It might have been even shorter than that. Um, But that you would have access to mental health treatment and not just someone that's going to touch base with you, but someone that's going to make sure that you know the resources that are available to you, whether that's groups independent studies, um, also things you could listen to on some of the um, technology programs that they have now into the prison systems, as well as getting you connected to areas that may not just be psychological. So whether that be the chapel or a work program or, um, like you mentioned, GED education Mm -hmm. programs, and also specifically going to the reentry coordinators and connecting them with someone who's going to say, I'm a liaison and I'm going to help you go from here to here successfully. So that when you walk out of these doors, there's already a lot of things against you, um, but you're going to have some resources in your place so that when plan A fails, you've got plan B, plan C, and plan D. And I think that's what we sometimes see is they're so focused on this is the path I'm going. And if something goes wrong, you know, I can't pay rent, you know, I have child support due, all of these things, then what's next? You know, what's my next option? And we want to make sure that you have those resources that are available to you so you don't find yourself back in the same place. Did y'all ever experience, I know this happened a lot in the state prisons, Mm -hmm. Um, people would pretend that Mm -hmm. they are mentally Mm -hmm. unstable so they could get uh, certain medication, so they could be placed in PC, mm-hmm. so they could be, you know, how do you differentiate between 
I mean, are there are there certain things tells you can you can see from people that we can't tell you the tricks of the trade, man? Come on now. No, I think that you bring up a really good point, and I I'm, that's the unfortunate side of what we do. Yeah. The reality is is that oftentimes there are people that may be um, maybe exaggerating what they are currently experiencing. Maybe they're mm-hmm. experiencing legitimate symptoms, but are exaggerating it just yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or people who are completely feigning, like they don't just have this. The system. They don't, that is certainly um, something that we've encountered. Um, and, and I don't, I want to say that it's really important even you have to be careful with that yeah. because when you ask about even like, what, what are your tells? How do you know? You don't really know. Right. You know? And so, so you, have you have to, have to just of, err on the side it's all true. of, of caution in regards to meeting the needs that they, that they're saying that they have. Um, so, so that's the challenge yeah. because you know, you, you certainly don't want to dismiss legitimate mental health complaints, mm-hmm. Because the consequence of that, when people are crying out for help, when when people are saying, I need help, and they don't get it, there's yeah. a consequence to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that's not something that um, certainly I want. Right. You know, or, or I think any other in mental health provider. I think it's important that you treat it just like you would in the community. Um, although we served as correctional officers first, and there were many times where we had to maybe take a correctional direction if we saw that there was... Um, you know, ulterior motives involved in seeking mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. But just like when someone says, I am suicidal, I want to end my life. The biggest mistake you could ever make is say, you're doing this for ulterior motives, or you're doing this to get attention, or you're faking this, or get over it, or put your big pants on and deal with it. The minute those words utter out of your mouth is the minute you will regret saying that. And so as mental health professionals, I know we wanted to treat the inmates the very same way. Um, at the very core, you're a human. Right. And if we don't recognize you and the human element, then we're not going to be able to do our jobs effectively as mental health providers. Um, so, yes, we definitely navigated that. I mean, I wouldn't say a week didn't go by that we didn't have someone maybe coming to psychology um, for, a, for a different reason. Um, but the hope is that they never left empty handed, whether that wasn't that they got to speak with the female intern that they wanted every week. Maybe they had independent (laughs) studies that they were beginning to utilize, but making sure that the resources are given, um, and that everyone's given a chance regardless of what their intention is. So if you saw that connecting them with education might help their situation, Mm -hmm. did you, were you also able to, uh, discern whether, um, a spiritual connection could help and connect them with Chaplain. Absolutely. Uh, y'all probably know Chaplain uh, Ramirez, right? I do. Jared? I do. He's at Fort Worth. He, he's at Fort oh, Worth. Okay, no, yeah. yeah, I would say for us, it was very important that we built relationships with the other departments within yeah. the institutions um, because we may be asking at any given time that this individual needs to be let out of work assignment to participate in this mental health group. And so it was very important that we built those relationships with all of the departments, whether it was corrections or religious services, education, the medical um, departments. And oftentimes we would, I know specifically when individuals were on suicide watch or were in the shoe, I would pick up the phone and call Chaplain Tigner, Chaplain Ramirez and say, can you go over and touch base with this individual? Um, Perhaps a 10 minute conversation could make the difference in their level of hopelessness. And that referral um, kind of relationship was both ways where, mm-hmm. you know, um, chaplains would say, Hey, I, I got somebody I want you to kind of follow up with and see, you know, just check yeah. in with them. I'm, yeah. I'm noticing some things that I'm concerned about and then vice versa us referring them to, um, religious services. If that we thought that that might benefit or serve as some kind mm-hmm. of, um, coping mechanism for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So how, um, what, what, what's the plans for anticipate joy? You said you got about 40, Working for you now. Yeah. I mean, are y'all are y'all global? Huh? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Speak it, it now. Okay. <laughs> International, global. Let's yeah, do it. We always it. say not yet, not yet, um, because many doors are beginning to um, crack open. Yeah. And we don't want to limit that opportunity. I think yeah, for for Dr. Tetterton and I, we don't want to just be successful business owners, but we are clinical psychologists. So. From the very beginning, we want to make sure that we're providing good, sound mental health services. Um, But that doesn't mean that we don't want to take on 
you know, other states and other areas, if those doors begin to open, that would not uh, prevent us from continuing to do the same interviewing and vetting process. Um, but we want to make sure we're meeting the need. And as we, as you know, it doesn't matter what state you're in, what city across the country, there are people that are hurting. And surprisingly, there's a shortage of mental health there professionals, yeah. even in the United States. And so, yes, we do have plans. Um, we definitely hire people who've worked with um, inmates, with um, ex-felons. And I think that's important because yes. um, those resources have to be available. And I don't know if we mentioned previously, but one of the biggest benefits of Anticipate Joy is that you can access it on the in the evenings, on the weekends, after hours. And the last thing we want someone to say, we really want to eliminate any excuses. Right, right. So if you get out of prison and you're working 12 hours a day, we don't want you to say, well, I can't take off work mm -hmm. to see a provider, mm -hmm. to drive 30 minutes, to get set up, to see someone who's only available during business hours. We want to make sure that you can access those services on the evenings, weekends. Middle of the night? Yeah, middle of the as night. As long as your therapist has those hours available, schedule. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. and, and that's something that's worked out with, like when, they, when they're when they partnered up with somebody, when they're paired up, they, they, they can find out the schedule. The schedule, schedule, the yes. schedule of, right. yeah. It's more of a signing up and scheduling than a on-call immediate type thing. You yes. got it. Okay. Yes. yes, you do. Right. And, and and that's important because, you know, we don't want to create the the sense of like doctor on demand kind of right. experience. Mm -hmm. We we really want to be able to create a an experience where clients who need help are able to use the resources, get connected to a therapist but not become dependent on a therapist. Right. We don't want to um, create situations where people are feeling like they're in crisis and I need to think to talk to my therapist immediately and their therapist is immediately available to talk them through the issues. Our platform was really built so that people can learn effective coping mechanisms and they can become independently capable of executing and living a better life because they're using the skills that they learned in their therapy. So and, that's and then, and then they take those skills that you that's teach right. them and they learn to uh, get through the immediacy of the crisis. Yes. So that they can have a scheduled appointment, and then with you, you process later it later it. to talk. That's yeah, absolutely the, right. I think the greatest accomplishment is not that we changed their life, that right. the therapist changed their life. It's that they learned the skills that they needed to, to be able change. to you change them their own to change affect their own, their own yeah. change. That's when huge. you yeah. have an aha moment as the client, then it's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. When we are the ones that are giving and feeding you. All of then the tools that you need. Yeah, absolutely. It it's dependency. dependency. And I think that's also related to uh, solitary confinement, having to be creative within an environment that oftentimes restricts those limitations. And yeah. I remember us even coming up with um, different psychologists were coming up with a list of a hundred things you can do in solitary confinement to still cope. Yeah. And obviously it's sometimes it's comical, um, but different things that you can recognize that are in my life. This is the only thing I have control over. How can I control this? How right. can I manage this? And how can I keep my emotions at bay? Um, Cause it's not so much about, being wrong about having a negative emotion, it's how it negatively impacts you. That's right. Um, in That's the long right. run. It's a reaction. To so if, if, um, if a, a sitting president, no matter who it was, mm -hmm. came to you and said, I'm going to give you the power, this is for each of you, to change one thing about federal prison mm. and emotional or mental health, what would, you, what would you change? How would you improve it? I'd say more providers. There are a lot of people in prison. There are a lot of people in the world, not even in prison, that aren't able to get the resources and the services that they need. Mm -hmm. That shortage is mirrored in the prison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. And so I would say more resources, more, more providers, more um, so that, the, that all of the people who want it can get the services mm -hmm. they need. Carla? You can't take her <laughs> on answer. The, on, the take <laughs> on the spot. On the spot. Uh, the word that comes to, to mind is is real reform. We use that word so yeah. often, but yeah. man, is going and shoving people into a building as sitting ducks is not changing 
our society. Yeah. You're not changing by being put in a building. Uh, we know that. We are, we are very big advocates of treatment and change. And if we didn't believe that people could change, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Right. And so I won't and say... And we wouldn't have worked in a prison. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't you have worked, know, in, a prison. Wouldn't have worked yeah. in a prison. Okay, um, so your answer, Veronica, was more providers. Yeah. Your answer was uh, reform. With all these third-party vendors that are in state and federal prison that make a ton of money off them and give kickbacks to the, to the prisons. Uh, so they, they make money off the family because of uh, video calls, phone calls, uh, visitation, family comes and brings 25, 30 bucks to spends in the, in the vending machine. There's all different commissaries, a third party vendor. Mm -hmm. Why not something like Anticipate Joy being offered and paid for, uh, if a, if an inmate's family says, "Man, I need to get my 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 son some help," mm -hmm. what if a, what if a prison had available something like Anticipate Joy? Mm -hmm. Would that be anything that Anticipate Joy would be, you know? And if so, would you would you consider it? And if so, what what are, what would be an obstacle that would be able to like? Well, well, I think with any um, anything in prison, the obstacle goes back to having enough employees. Whenever you don't have the employees or the staff, then you don't have the people in place to be able to get them the resources. So let's just hypothetically say Anticipate Joy is inside a facility. If you're going to meet with those in our, that are in solitary confinement, that requires X staff. number of staff yeah. to them then have the screen, to have the availability, to get them where they need to go, to put them in the appropriate um, whether that they have to setting, be setting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of the things that go with that. And so as soon as we see numbers drop, then we see programming drop. And we, we've seen it time and time again, especially right now with COVID. I know my, my father personally has not been able to go into any prison right. since. And so all they're able to do is just to be able to send those correspondence trainings and, and opportunities for inmates. And so, yeah, I agree. I think you've got to have the resources in place. So that know, would be the big, biggest California obstacle. California and other states already have, you know, tablets as a part mm -hmm. of the, uh, an inmate can right. rent right. Uh, time with it. I That's didn't true. know that. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. 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 I forgot about so, that. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, and I mean, Texas is way behind. I don't know about the federal, but the Texas state Texas mm -hmm. prisons are way behind as far as being the biggest state and always having the best mm -hmm. stuff. We're right. so far behind New York. In California in technology in prison. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, I just, I mean, I just think, man, if, if, if that could be offered, mm -hmm. you know, that would be a way that, um, you know, you could, you could get that to people. And get Absolutely. Some more help. So probably my response might be confidentiality. Then if you're in a large dorm setting, it would just be, be available for individuals so that they could have the privacy. Cause right. oftentimes yeah, it would have to be, you have to go into a separate yeah, office. Yeah. Or yeah. Room that or that pod, would be the thing we would encourage. I know I would often, you know, they'd say the only place I have to, to cry is in the shower. And yeah. so oh, yeah. we would encourage like, do what you got to do. Cause right. sometimes that's part of your healing. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think people are, are, there's always that, fear of if I expose myself, I'm going to be vulnerable and how is that going to look, yeah. uh, especially while I'm incarcerated. And so making sure that they have a safe place to feel like they can talk. So uh, we get families all the time out of, you know, they're so excited about their loved one getting out of prison. Mm -hmm. The loved one in prison writes us. They're so excited about reconnecting with their family. Mm -hmm. But then the, the inmate gets out and, and then after the, the honeymoon of about three or four days a week, there's this awkwardness. Mm -hmm. There's this, the inmate who's no longer an inmate, but he's just seeing all these gifts, all these things being done for him. But then all of a sudden starts going through his mind. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be mm -hmm. a burden. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want my, my family to keep, you know, in some families they say we want to pay for our, our sons, you know, or a wife will say, I want to pay for my husband's fees for two months. And sometimes the residents don't want them to. And I'm like, you've got to let them. Yeah. And then sometimes we get calls from families that have loved ones that paroled home. Mm -hmm. And now it's not working. And, mm. and there's just this awkwardness. And and I don't know how to explain it. You know, uh, when I came home, there was some just, there's an adjustment curve. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't that heavy, you know, 
who did you come home to? When you say home, what mom, is your mom and dad? Mom and dad. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, we've we've had to walk through a lot of families. They're not the excitement is not there anymore. That was there, uh, you know, the month leading up to them getting out. The joy from the inmate being able to reconnect with his family is gone after a month, and and there's just this tension, mm-hmm. you know, between the family not thinking the the individual appreciates everything they're doing as much mm-hmm. and the person thinking they're, they don't want to be a burden. So they, they start disconnecting from the family. Yeah. Wow. What is that? What is that? And so it's funny because immediately when you said the word tension, my mind almost wanted to correct that word and say really adjustment. Yeah. Uh, really. I think that that is a part, I would normalize that experience. Everything that you just described is a normal part of an adjustment with this major transition. Mm-hmm. So when when a person is is kind of that honeymoon period is kind of faded and the reality of now another person in the home, another person making decisions, maybe that person not being on their feet good enough to provide and yeah, to continue yeah. to um, to contribute yeah. financially, um, it, it's realized that that might be a little bit of a burden, or you and know. One of the other things is, is transportation. If and they transportation, don't live, they yeah. Don't live so now you got to drive them for yes. job interviews, and, and, and you the didn't. Family. Yeah, those and are then normal. The individual things. sees the family getting frustrated, yeah. and then they just don't want to be a burden, so they're like, you know, so they are. You know, normal. I would almost say that it would be helpful for people to know that those are things that they're they're going to experience and I try to before tell the that, yeah, they go. Yeah. You know, I mean, that I think that that would probably be helpful because it I have would, to try to I have to try to explain the reality without yeah. without you know dampening Tam- the t- taking uh, the joy yeah, away. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I get it. That, that makes it, sense. It's kind of like our work with veterans. If I could go to um, the minute they get off the plane, oh yeah. Uh, or if I can go to the home and talk to the family, what I would give to be able to do those things and prepare both the family and the veteran for what's about to come. Um, the same thing with inmates and the families. Yeah. Um, so That's many good. things with the adjustment it, yeah. period. So there's an education piece. This you are excited, um, but I can't help but parallel it to being a parent. Or Christmas morning, you give a gift to your children and they are through the roof and 12 hours later Wait, you tw- could have 12 hours in yeah, your house it's yeah, only like 2, two hours. hours yeah it's you on the floor somewhere you could yeah. have kept the box and returned it yeah. and i think if i were to speak to those getting out of prison I would say practice what we practice every day. And that's the art of gratitude. Gratitude, Because the minute you make all of these promises and the minute you walk out the door is the minute things become normal. And Mm -hmm. my life becomes normal regardless of what that normal is, whether that's $100 a week or $100,000 a week. That becomes normal and we lose the impact of how appreciative we have to be for the things that have been given to us in our lives. And so when you're stepping out, keep in mind, you're going to wake up and this is going to be the new normal. You know, you were used to living in this tiny little, and now you've got a king size bed or whatever the case is. So making sure we remain in a place of gratitude. And then the, the families that are preparing that reminding them almost, you almost want to give them the worst. Um, because yeah. all they're, all they feel is the best. They think, oh, this is amazing. This is the thing we've prayed they're for. They're going to sit and meet yeah. with me every night. We're going to have yeah. devotions together. We're going to talk as a family. We're going to connect. They're never going to want to go back to do anything they've ever done before. Mm-hmm. All of the things, right? And so the expectations are so skewed that you have to have a sense of reality and the adjustment period, like she's talking about, it happens. It's not just with prison, but the honeymoon period's always there. And then life hits and reality comes in and you have to be prepared for those things. And if you physically and mentally aren't prepared for that as a family, how can you set them up for success by connecting them to a resource that can give them um, better preparation to reintegrate appropriately in the communities. That's okay. Good. So in, in, in regards to like my field, people, families, is there, is there, um, can they call y'all? Like if, if they're getting, if somebody's getting out of prison and they're feeling anxious and they're whatever, I mean, you said you have somebody that kind of, that kind of works in that field. I guess what I'm asking is who should call anticipate joy? 
Yeah. Well, right now it's residents in the state of Texas, okay. 18 and older, mm-hmm. individual. So only in Texas, right? Only now. in Texas right for the moment, yes. right now. Um, but anyone in the state of Texas that is does not have a severe mental illness that would better be equipped for an inpatient facility. Talk about um, that, Carla. Yeah. I think that's important. Tell them. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? How yeah. Do you, yeah. How do you draw the line? Yeah. If if there, oftentimes we think, oh, I only see a therapist if I'm intimately suicidal, going to end my life, and we want to make sure that people understand that we are not um, that 24-hour crisis call, um, but that it's someone who's stable. Um, whether that's on medication or without medication, um, someone that's not a severe risk to themselves or to someone else, um, because the risk of those things could come up in therapy and you would be better suited for someone that's in a face-to-face right. setting that, that could get you into a hospital more quickly. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. we want to make sure we're not an emergent situation, although you can access and begin therapy within 24 hours. Um, that is a benefit of Anticipate Joy, but we're not a crisis call. I'm ready to end my life. I have a plan to commit suicide. Absolutely. Um, we want to connect you to uh, a different resource. But yes, um, we feel very confident that just about any issue that you're going through um, related to your mental health that's not severe and more better equipped in an outpatient or a more intensive inpatient facility um, would be appropriate for Anticipate Joy. You guys are uh, kind of fit in where they're not all the way there yet where they need that facility you're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, you guys can help get them to where they don't have to go. Mm-hmm. To That's exactly the way yeah. that we kind of see what we do. I think one of the things that we like to think about mental health as not just something you do when you're depressed with the shades drawn and, and tear and can't go to work and people are texting you and you're not responding. We like to think of uh, mental health really from a preventative perspective yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. that, you know, in the same way that people exercise and engage in activities to prevent what? To prevent uh, heart conditions, to prevent mm-hmm. other medical conditions that could come as a result. We think that the healthy thing to do, the the mental health perspective that we want people to have is that if I'm having any issues, whether or not it just be... I'm struggling with my husband right now. Something's going on. Not sure what's going on in our communication. You know, talk to a therapist. I just lost my job. Talk to a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm caregiving for my ailing parents and I am stressed, overwhelmed and taxed. Mm -hmm. Talk to a therapist. Notice that all of those situations are not dire where the person is really right. thinking about hurting themselves or they're they're contemplating suicide, but they're just life issues yeah. that we all deal with and we all struggle through. Um, but we're suggesting that you you get the help of a if you bring somebody provider, along during that part of the struggle, there you go. It won't it won't, it won't, won't have go. you won't get yeah. there. That's gotcha. right. That's the goal. Yeah, and I always say the quote, you can't build a storm shelter in the middle of a storm. So you need the tools today so that you can be more preventative, as you mentioned, instead of being so reactionary. Mm -hmm. Um, Too often, the percentage of people who seek therapy have already signed the divorce papers. They've already gone through a severe mental illness. Um, and they're not seeking the help until they're already failing at their yeah. job. They're, yeah. you know, their their spouse is saying, "I'm div- getting a divorce. We're, we're it's Fire over from jobs. Right. It's, all of those things. Yeah. yeah, that's that's when the light bulb typically goes off, and people say, "Maybe I need to talk to someone." And we're suggesting, let's get in earlier. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you, so if you're putting it in cardiology terms. You're not the you're not the uh, quadruple bypass surgery. Right. You're the let's change our diet. Yes, absolutely. Let me show yes. you how to change our yeah, diet. Yeah, you hadn't even so got the medication. To to just point. change yeah. your yeah. diet first. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. That's right. That's awesome. Right. Awesome. All right. So anticipatejoy.com is all they need to know, right? Yeah. Hey, right. there's one other thing that we can make sure we mention to your listeners right now. We are offering a special for the you use the code JOY2020 and you get a, your first two sessions free with your monthly subscription subscription. So just want to make sure that, you know, so first two sessions, don't even worry about it. They're on us. All right. Now this won't air for a few weeks, so it's still good then, right? It's still good then. And you'll see the banner if it changes right now on the website, the banner shows the code again. So they won't forget that whenever they click on it. Yeah. But we want to thank you, you. Jaden, for all you're doing with Forgiven Felons, not just to have the interview, but it's um, obviously, you know, our hearts, you know, uh, how important it is for us to see change in people 
we are believers of change regardless of the journey or where you're at in life. And so it's so refreshing to see you connect with people who've spent, whether it's 30 days or 30 years in prison and giving them an opportunity to live their best life. And we are all about helping people shift their focus, gain the skills that they need and improve their quality of life and their relationships with other people. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. And thank you once again for coming on the show. Man, there is so much to unpack from this episode, but I had such a great time learning and asking them uh, some questions about what, you know, they would change. It's interesting because I love the fact that Carla followed in her dad's footsteps, but yet he was kind of shocked at that. He's like, why would you want to do that? (laughs) She was like, well, I think it was just the natural progression of things. So that was cool. You know, one of the things that Carla said was going and shoving people into a building as sitting ducks is not changing our society. And man, that quote hit so hard to me because it, it reminds me of a previous episode with Representative Carl Sherman when he gave an example of, you know, we wouldn't take a pet, a dog, and put him in a cage in, in our garage in the middle of summer. We wouldn't do that. But yet, that's what we do to humans in prison with over 80 state prisons that do not have any air conditioning. That's what we do. There's heat during the winter, I remember, but there's none. And we put them in cages. I was put in a cage. I was put in a metal building. And even on my best days in prison, even when I knew I was free on the inside, I knew according to the state of Texas, I was still considered a slave of the state. Carla also said that the key to reducing recidivism is programming. And I agree with that. And that's the reason why we don't want to just do housing anymore. In our transitional house program, we want to do programming. We want to teach these guys a vocation, a trade. We want to yeah, provide them still with work boots and, and, and food and clothing and hygiene. But we want to teach them some new things. Programming is definitely the key. The pandemic has been, no matter what you think about the pandemic, whether your views are conservative, Republican, whether you believe it was on purpose or accident, whether you believe whatever, it's it, the results of all of this has affected our society and and has affected the prison system. The prison system has not known what to do with COVID and they've just locked everybody down. They put them back in their cages and, you know, places like New York and California have tablets you can rent. And I, I believe if we had some sort of tablet system in place, we could continue education during times like this in prison. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to have, Doug Dretke, who is a former um, director for TDCJ, on soon. And he's going to talk about some of the things that I think they have in the future planned for TDCJ. But programming is the key. You know, whenever I ask about solitary confinement, and I said, do you think we should do away with it? Obviously, Obviously, her answer was kind of, you know, she admitted she was kind of dancing around it. But they both kind of admitted, look, you know, you need, there are some people who have some mental health issues that are so severe that they cannot, they cannot be around people in a normal situation anymore. But, you know, even then they both said, look, there's a way we can give these guys program too. You know, we can put them, yes, we may have to put them in a, in a, in a built little thing to sit in and listen to teaching you know, and, and maybe they don't want it, but they're, I like their heart. Their heart was to still see people get the best programming that they could find. I like uh, one of the things they said was, at the very core, you're human. At the very core, we're still human. Veronica said there's a lot of people in prison. In fact, there's a lot of people in the world not just prison, that aren't able to get the resources and services that they need. And and that goes with m- mental health, medical, jobs, everything, bail, you know, everything. And so resources put in the hands of inmates, resources put in the hands of people out here 
you know, uh, homeless people, man, we go to minister to homeless people all the time. And you'd, you'd be surprised how many of those people are former inmates who, when they got out, did not know how to handle the mental health issue of reentry. You know, you guys know Daniel last episode, you know, and, and him and so many other inmates get out the family, everybody's so excited, but then there's that, there's that curve, that adjustment curve. And it, and, and I like the way Carmel, uh, Car Veronica and, and Carla said to make sure you normalize that because it is normal. And, and the ones that work through it end up having better relationships, but a lot of families don't expect that, you know, and I try to paint the picture for them, but then they, you know, sometimes it sounds like I'm just being negative, but I really enjoyed this episode today. Listen, anticipatejoy.com. Everything you need to know is on the website. Okay. And if you visit forgivenfelons.org forward slash background check, you'll, you, that's our show page on the website. If you go on there, you can see more pictures of them. You can also see um, the Anticipate Joy social media links and go follow them on social media. They always have some good, inspiring things. So, you know, September is, um, I believe September is, is recovery month or addiction recovery month. So get with them. I know we've had some of our guys, one of our guys, we, um, we sent to them and had a couple of sessions with them for drug addiction. So no matter what you need help for, and I like the way they said it, that they're not a place for severe mental health that needs to be taken care of through inpatient They're you know, they want to be the place where you call when when you're first starting to struggle with something, something that's hard to take emotionally or mentally. And, and they, they're there, they're there. Um, so look them up, anticipatejoy.com. They're my friends. They're great people and they're here to help you and anybody, you know. So, um, and right now they do, they do have a, uh, I think it's called the code joy 2020. Uh, you put that in and you'll receive, I think the first two sessions, I think the first two sessions you'll get for free. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. Uh, they said it. They said it at the end there too. So, uh, and it's on their website. So, if you need help, don't don't be ashamed. The you know when people talk about getting help and getting counseling, some people put a you know a judgmental attitude along with that. Don't worry about those people. They need more help than than you do probably. So whether it's marriage, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's no matter what, they have somebody for you. Get some help and um, call us if you need if you need some sort of help with reentry. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks again for all the all the giving. North Texas Giving Day. You can still give. It's not too late. We need to get our welding class open. We need to get our welding class open. All right. So. Uh, we need that. We need a place for our welding, but we also need a, a, a bigger place, but we need to get the welding class going. All right. Thank you for listening to the show today and every every week. Uh, we have a new episode every Friday at noon, so we can't wait. for The, the next one is going to be um, a guy named Chris Cavallini. He's CEO of Nutrition Solutions, and we sit down and have a talk about you know, him being Forbes 500 businessmen on the cover of their magazine. So anyway, it's going to be great. So we'll see you next week. And don't forget to spread the word. If you listen to this on Apple, please rate us and leave us a review. It helps us get uh, more exposure and featured more. All right. Jadan Gum, Forgiven Felons, background check host and... We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm Jaden Gum, and this has been Background Check.